I don't know how many of you have heard of what some call the prosperity gospel. And this is the idea that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God. It assumes that there's sort of a contract between us and God, that if we just have enough faith, God will give us health, wealth, and success. Some of you are rolling your eyes, or worse, you're thinking, this is the reason I don't really think that Christian thing is all that cool. Maybe you're holding a Christian faith at an arm's length, because this seems so unseemly. Well, I'm with you, because I think the excesses of this movement are numerous. There are a handful of pastors, and I really mean just a few, who fly Learjets and live in 10,000 square foot houses, and just something about the whole thing seems wrong. And then you come across something like what we're going to look at today, a text where Jesus says something really quite startling. If you want to, you can turn to Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11. If you want to in the Pew Bible, it's on page 1770, or excuse me, 1478, 1478. And again, Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 7. Here's what Jesus says. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. So what's Jesus saying? Is he telling us just to ask for anything and presto, it will immediately appear? I think it doesn't take more than a moment's reflection to know that that's not the way it actually works. So what's going on here? What's Jesus saying and how are we to understand this? I think the first thing we need to do is understand that God does want us to ask. That's the point of verses 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. So Jesus says ask, seek, and knock. And he assumes that we have needs. We ask because we need something. We seek because there's something that we need that is lost. We knock because some door for us is shut. And there's a progression here. Ask, seek, and knock. Moves from passively asking to actively looking to assertively demanding that God listen to our needs. Now, the way Jesus says it, he doesn't just ask us to seek and knock or to ask and seek and knock once, but to keep on asking and seeking and knocking. Why does Jesus tell us to do that? Why is he so persistent in telling us it really three times that we are to ask for what we need? One reason, I think, is because we are often reluctant to ask God directly for what we need. It feels awkward. Let me just give you an example. Occasionally, someone will say to me, you know, hey, if you need anything, just give me a call. And I say, sure. But really inside, I'm thinking, I'm not going to call them. I don't want to bother them or inconvenience them. When they really mean, yes, if you need something, give me a call. And I think we're the same time at times with God. We think God's so great and that we're so insignificant that we don't want to bother him. It can even feel selfish to ask God for what we want or need. Doesn't he have better things to do to, with his time than to listen to us? And do we know if we're even asking for something that might be good for us? So Jesus was speaking to a crowd that day. He was sitting down. That's the way that they spoke in those times. And there were people there that had great needs. Maybe they were sick or in an abusive relationship. Maybe they were poor. Perhaps they had dreams of doing something good but needed some help. Or maybe they had a troubled child they wanted to see straightened out. But Jesus knew that they were timid and shy and felt unworthy and unfit to present their needs to God. So Jesus said, ask. Don't be timid. Don't doubt. Pray confidently and boldly. 
Another reason that we're sometimes hesitant is because we feel guilty, because we've ignored God for a long time. Maybe there was a time in the past when we um, had some big needs and we prayed and God answered, but then when things got kind of nice and, and settled, we stopped praying. Now we face a new set of challenges, and it seems hypocritical to ask God for something when we've ignored him for so long. So how do we resolve this? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 8 that if we ask, we'll receive. If we seek, we'll find. If we knock, the door will open. So why should we believe him? Why should God care about our little insignificant problems? The reason, Jesus tells us, is because of God our Father, the one who listens. Verses 9 and 10, he says the key to what he says here is the way that Jesus talks about God. To Jesus, God is not some distant big guy, some, not some nameless, faceless, cosmic bureaucrat who can't be bothered and is annoyed by our trivial or even irrelevant concerns. Instead, Jesus calls God Father, and that makes all the difference. If we think God's unconcerned or even hostile to our prayers, Jesus asks why we think so. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? The Bible describes God as a father. Jackie mentioned that just a moment ago in the introduction to one of her songs. The idea of the father, the prodigal son coming back to the father who opens his arms wide. Jesus uses this term in an intimate and personal way. God, he says, has the same kind of care and concern for us that parents give to their children. When he spoke of his heavenly father, he was speaking of someone he loved and whose love he was certain of in return. And so he poses a question. Is there a father who hates their child? Parents love to give good things to their, their children. Good parents don't try to trick their, trick their children by putting a stone in their lunch instead of a, a piece of bread. They don't substitute a ritually impure snake or an eel they caught for a fish that a child could actually eat. They don't mock their children by giving them something that looks like something else in order to trick them. God, like any good parent, will not refuse or mock our prayers like any good parent, he loves it when we call. It's great to hear your voice. In fact, sometimes, like our parents, he's disappointed when we don't call. He's available. He knows our needs. He's waiting for us to call. And that should get us excited. God is our loving, heavenly Father, and he listens for our voice. Now, let me just pause for a second because I know that not all of you have had loving parents. Maybe you've had a difficult time. So when you hear that God is like a parent, it raises all sorts of red flags for you. Maybe it even stirs up some emotions. It's hard, maybe, if you've had a parent that was difficult to connect with. One way to deal with this is to understand that our own disappointments in our parents, in part, are because we do have an image in our minds of what a perfect parent would look like. So when our earthly parents let us down, it hurts. But if we have an image of what a loving, gracious, and generous parent looks like, Realize that God is all of that and more. He loves us. He wants the best for us. And maybe that's why Jesus puts it this way in verse 11. If you then, though you are evil, meaning less than perfect parents, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? That means that God gives good gifts to his children. So Jesus says he wants us to know that even as, if as human parents we aren't perfect, we do know how to give good gifts to children. In fact, we want to. Parents know what that feels like. When your child wants something or needs something, you, and you know it's good for them, you want to provide it. You'll do anything you can to provide for your child what they need. Nothing gives you greater pleasure. God, Jesus says, is like that, only he is infinitely more than that. 
We don't have to pester God to get his attention. We don't have to grovel. He's not a grudging God who needs to be coerced. Either he will give you what you ask, or if he can, if he can, or something far better. God's generous with us. In fact, he's more than generous. Jesus says he gives good gifts. That may sound obvious until we realize that not all gifts are good. There are some things that we might ask for that are harmful and not good. God then wisely protects us from what would harm us. And so, Jesus says, God will answer your prayers, but answer them in this way, in the way of perfect wisdom and love. And so, if in our ignorance we sometimes ask for gifts that would ruin us, well, God will protect us. When I was a kid, I asked my parents for a lot of things, um, things like a mini bike and a BB gun, and those things they never got me. In college, I once asked for a pair of cowboy boots, and uh, they said no. Two weeks later, I realized I'm just not the cowboy boot kind of guy. (laughs) My parents weren't wealthy, but that didn't mean that they weren't generous. They gave us music lessons, bought books, gave us broadening experiences, all things I really needed and benefited from. And God's like that with us. Our problem is, is that we're often too eager to ask for the wrong things, but not eager enough to ask for the right things. So he protects us by saying no. For things, from things that might not be good for us. What this suggests is that when we ask God, we need to trust him with the answer. We know he's good, we know he's generous, and if we can let go of our way and submit to God's way, we'll be better off. One of the things this can do, though, is kind of tie us up in knots, thinking about whether we're guessing whether the thing we're asking God for is good. And so let me just suggest that if you're reluctant to ask God, go ahead and ask Ask for what you want, ask for what you believe you need, and if it is according to God's will, trust him that he will give it to you. And if it's not good for you, just say, Lord, I'll, I'll submit and accept your answer. Knowing God is good and promises to give us good gifts is actually reassuring. But it also raises a question. What about those times when the answer is no? Now, I know that last Sunday afternoon, late afternoon, some of you were praying for a specific result. And it didn't happen, right? So does that mean that Eagles fans have a more of an in with God or not? I, I don't know. But seriously, this is one of the most perplexing questions of all. Not whether the Viking, why the Vikings lost, but why is it that prayer doesn't always work? Why don't we get the job where the sick person doesn't get well or the pain doesn't go away or the unfaithful spouse leaves for good? You're never quite able to dig out of a financial hole. But have you ever thought of what it might look like if God answered every single one of our prayers? Thought experiment. Well, I want you to watch this video clip from the film Bruce Almighty. You've got prayers. Welcome to the Revelation Superhighway. We bless, no mess. Downloading now. Colombia. 
Well, if you've seen the film, you'll know that uh, actually the results are less than good. In fact, soon Bruce has pretty much a disaster on his hands. It's then that God, played by Morgan Freeman, tells Bruce, since when does anyone have a clue what they really want? So what's going on? Well, I think that other places in the Bible gives a, give us a hint about why it is that at times our prayers are not answered. Let me give you some suggestions. First of all, we're told by John, one of Jesus' closest disciples in 1 John 5:14 that if we ask for what is God's will, he'll answer, which means that sometimes we pray and it's not God's will. It's not something that is good for us or something that is according to his will, and so he will say no. Another time, Jesus told his disciples that if they prayed with faith, that they could move mountains. That's in Matthew 21. In other words, prayer isn't some kind of superstitious abracadabra. We need to pray with faith in God. But we also know that not even the best of our prayers always get answered. So why is that? Well, I think the truth is, often, we don't know. We don't have time today to explore all of the reasons why God may not grant what we ask, but let me just give you a few possibilities. First of all, truthfully, some prayers aren't answered because they're really pretty frivolous. Listen, I know the patriots are evil, but I'm not going to pray that they lose in the Super Bowl next weekend because I don't think God cares who wins the Super Bowl. And for those of us who are able-bodied, I don't think that praying for a parking spot close to the Macy's entrance at the mall is a good thing to do. Okay? And, you know, if you're going to the state fair, the day that you're going to the state fair, you may pray that there's no rain, but at the same time, some farmer in central Minnesota is praying for a two-inch slow-soaking rain so his corn crop can grow. And there, so that's, that's one reason. Sometimes the things that we pray for are frivolous. In other cases, we have motives that are less than good. Our prayers are less than perfect. Praying that God brings disaster on a neighbor is probably a prayer God is unlikely to answer. If we pray for success, knowing that our real motive is to show off, he may not give us what we want. Another reason why our prayers may not be answered is that God is supremely wise and loving. So we've already talked a little bit about that, but if something isn't good for us, God may say no. In fact, some of our prayers, if answered, might be disastrous. That's why one 16th century saint once said, more tears are shed over answered prayer than unanswered ones. Another reason is that sometimes our timing is off. Sometimes God intends to answer our prayer, but just not right now. We may not understand why, but we need to trust his reasons that he's saying, not no, but not yet. Still, there are other times when there is something we need inside of us that needs to be fixed. In other words, there are character issues, and God's more concerned about our character than he is our success. We've all experienced times when difficulty actually brings growth in our lives. So God knows this and may allow the difficulty in our lives for good. Another sobering reason is unconfessed sin. Isaiah 59.2 says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So if there's unconfessed sin in our lives or if there's a sinful pattern that we need to change, that may be a reason why God has not yet answered our prayer. 
Now, there are others, including the fact that God has granted freedom to all of us, which means that others may have freedom to do things that may be harmful to us. Another to other times, there's one person who asks for something and somebody else asks for the same thing, and God can't say yes to two people at the same time. I once prayed for a job that I didn't get. I later met the man who got the job. In fact, we'd become good friends. But, you know, God couldn't answer the prayer yes for both of us. I also knew when I was single, two great guys who were praying that God would give them the same girl. The answer couldn't both be yes. It either had to be no to one and yes to the other or no to both. And one of the guys did get the girl. What I found out is that as we grow in our relationship with God, one of the things that subtly happens is our prayers become more consistent with God's purposes. Our thoughts become less concerned with ourselves and more occupied with the suffering and sorrowing world around us. As much as we want to pray for our own needs, we also need to pray for the needs of others. And I find that often that means there are more answers to our prayers. Yet in the end, what I can say is that there are times when we will not know the reason why God did not answer our prayers. We may never know. God is God. And some things are mysteries, mysteries that won't be fully answered until we cross over into eternity. When God doesn't answer our prayers, we can file a brief with the complaint department or we can trust him that what he thinks is best for us in the moment is what he gives us. Our questions will not fully be answered, but we can trust God with our lives because we have the perspective of eternity. And by the way, just because the answer is no doesn't mean that we should stop praying, especially if we sense that our request is consistent with God's purposes. The key message that Jesus wants us to understand is that we're to pray no matter what. In fact, one of the biggest reasons I think that God doesn't answer our prayers is because we fail to pray in the first place. James says in James 4.2, you do not have because you do not ask God. You might say, well, is that really very common? Well, I have to confess to you that that happens to me all the time. In fact, my first response often when I'm anxious or I have a problem is not to pray, but to start doing something, trying to fix it, trying to resolve it. Pray? Well, maybe after a while when I've tried a couple of things and they don't work. Sometimes I even complain. I might blame myself or my wife or my parents or the government. I'll do anything but pray. And really, the first thing that we should understand is that any problem we face is an opportunity to pray. Now, that may lead to action. It may lead to seeking wise advice. It will often lead for us to speak out for justice. But first, we need to pray. Pray for what we need. Submit our will to God and trust that he will answer wisely. Because Jesus is asking us here to pray specifically, boldly, and persistently. And when we pray, he answers. Now, how do we put all this together? Can we really take Jesus up on this open-ended promise? And I think the answer is yes. Remember, he has invited us to call him Father. He loves us and wants to give us good gifts. Children ask naturally, and so should we. And we can do that knowing that God is a loving, heavenly Father. And so, in some ways, it's perhaps perplexing to God why we ask so infrequently. So remember that God is your loving, heavenly Father, that he knows your needs and desires, and that you can trust him. Let him decide whether what his answer will be and see what happens. The Anglican Archbishop William Temple was once asked by a college student why it was that he believed his prayers were answered. He says, isn't the things you pray for, and they happen, just coincidences? William Temple said, well, I don't know. He said, but when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. When we started City Church, a mentor of mine said, why are you so anxious? And I didn't really actually realize I 
Well, I was. In fact, I was, to say I was anxious was an understatement. So he asked me, what's your greatest fear? This was about four weeks before we had our first service. So I said, well, that no one will show up. And then he said, what's your second greatest fear? He said that no one will come back. <laughs> well, amazingly, people did come. And some, not all of them, came back. And we've been at this now for almost 13 years. And we prayed, and God has done some great things. Through you, the generous people of City Church, we've been able to pay our bills. God's provided us with the leaders that we need to fill key roles. And I believe that's because people here have prayed. A few of you were here in the early years, and you may have heard me talk about something that happened even before we started, even before I'd begun to think about the idea of City Church. There's an organization called Moms in Prayer. Um, what they do is bring mothers together to pray for kids and staff and teachers in their schools. About a year after our first service, there was a regional gathering of the Moms in Prayer network in Minnesota. And a woman named Jan, who was a regional director, got up to tell the group about how she'd been a part of a, a, a school group of moms who had prayed for five years, not only for the students and staff and teachers of the school, but also that God would use their school to make a difference in the community. And she told stories about how God had worked in the lives of students and teachers and others in the school. And then she said, you know what? She said, something really interesting happened this last year. She said, there's a church that started meeting in our community, and they're using the school that we've been praying for all these years. These women understood that as an answer to their prayers. Do you know the name of that school? It's called Armitage School. And the name of the church is City Church. We met there for eight years. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you invite us to pray, to ask. Thank you that you listen. Thank that you give us good gifts in those difficult moments when we pray and the answer is no. May we trust you, even if we do not yet understand. Father, may we ask so it may be given to us. May we seek and find May we knock and whatever door we're standing in front of be open to us because we know that we can trust you, our good heavenly Father who gives good gifts to those who ask him. We pray this in Jesus' name.